Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. It's week 26, which will be a truncated week, but I'm still counting it because I don't want to, too much effort. Uh, we're, uh, Where are we? Yeah, it's a little strange. What is this place? What is what is Zoom? What are What is recording? Um, so we're going to be starting uh, season two, book two, Spirits of uh, the Legend of Korra. And our episodes today are episode one, Rebel Spirit, and episode two, this, The Southern Lights. And I'm very curious how this was for you guys, not only just having these extra days off, but I feel like this beginning part of the season is going to be tricky for me to talk about because there's there's a bunch of things I want to say but they might be spoilery or they might not be spoilery. I don't remember well enough because <laughs> it's yeah. been so long since I watched it. Um, so I don't remember if they're like setting things up that I've forgotten about. So I don't want to say because in case they are, or if they aren't, I, I just like have a really strong reaction um, to some of the choices that they have early on here. But I, I'm really curious to to see what everybody else thought of these first two episodes. Uh, Allison, I'm going to throw it to you first because you don't have this difficulty because it's your first time watching the show. What did you think of these first two episodes? You know, I um, I was really, let me put it this way. I was really glad that Noel sort of lowered expectations and specifically mentioned um, the animation in season two um, because it made it, I think, less frustrating for me as a viewer than it might have been otherwise. I was really, really glad to have that context um, because this basically felt like, like a second pilot. Um, like there was enough, we didn't have to be introduced to all of our heroes again, obviously. Um, but it, but it very much felt like the beginning of something new rather than a continuation of the story, which I think is a real problem specifically when it comes to Korra and Tenzin, since these episodes set up the Korra and Tenzin relationship as such, I'm assuming as such a key part of this season. And that um, rupture seems very important, obviously. Um, and, you know, Korra, her judgment uh, might be a little questionable sometimes. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, just like maybe um yeah like you're not the boss of me is not the most helpful instinct to lean into right now um i uh so i so i find that piece of it in particular really frustrating is it basically felt like any character beats that we carried throughout season one and and she was i still think fairly shortchanged in the finale um just sort of went out the window and it's like the things we learned about her right away are still the things that we're focusing on impulsiveness and sort of like an occasional lack of seriousness and bullheadedness. And it's fine that those are still traits that she carries with her, but it doesn't feel like the continuation of a journey. It feels like we went back to the start and are just going down a similar path again. And I find that pretty frustrating. Um, but there are some things I really liked here. I was excited to meet Tenzin's brother and sister. I'm really looking forward to learning more about them, as I assume we will. Um, there are some obviously really beautiful visual elements, even if the animation isn't quite up to the same level. Um, and some great voice performances. And of course, you know, Aubrey Plaza is involved now, and that's 
an undeniable empiric good. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of, I guess, where I start from. What about you? What did y'all remember from these? Well, I did not remember not liking Cora. And I was like, one of the things that this first season did so well was immediately getting me on board with Cora. And then in the season two premiere, I'm like, but where's the character I, I like? What's what's happening? What's going on? Why are we? Huh? Okay. Okay. It'll be okay, Kate. <laughs> Something's happening, but they'll get back to the, they'll get back to that character. It'll happen. I know it does. It's just a matter of when. Uh, so it, that was a little jarring. And as Marcus says, it feels like there were five to 10% fewer frames um, per second, right? Like just like the, the visual style. I like you, Alison, I hadn't remembered that so much, uh, but I was very glad that Noel had given us that primer on it because it does not look nearly as good. Um, and this is the one that is the best of those. This is the one that has the most effort. Uh, yeah. These two of- look the best of the studio Pro um, episodes. Yeesh. It's downhill from here from, for their episodes. Just letting you know, there's a couple of good things come. There's some good choreography coming, but yeah. And then Mir takes back over and it gets better. Um, so so characterization uh, was was a little tricky for me in some of the stuff. I think that they struggled to really set up um, some of the dynamics that they needed to so that the Korra Tenzin break that we get here would make more sense and really um, fit. Right. And they, they just I feel like felt like they went right back to the stock character thing for their main character, which is a big old mistake. However, there's other things that they're doing that I think really, really work. And that I know will be touched on later in the season. Um, so like they're doing a real good job of setting up some other stuff. So, um, that's all I'll say about that. Noel, how was, how were these first two episodes for you revisiting them? Is this the first time revisiting since you initially watched it? Yeah, this is the first, this will be my first time rewatching books two, three, and four, apart from if I watched an episode twice when I reviewed it over at TV.com, uh, which happens sometimes. If I got screeners, I'd watch an episode a couple of times. But yeah, this is going to be my first time through. And season two, I remember like broad swatches of it. Um, and I remember characters, but I just kind of go, right, right. Right. That was the thing. Oh, right. Kaya. Right. Um, just constantly cycling through, kind of half remembering everything, but always remembering, wow, that that carnival is so well lit, which is so weird after everything being moodily lit <laughs> Yeah, in uh, book one. Um, so everything's a lot brighter. Um, Diego rightly points out the level of detail in faces really stood out. Uh, close-ups were okay if a little bit off and then the wider shots were bad and it's just like yeah they're not filling in those the details in the wider shots um and color colorizations like slightly off from like what outfits normally look like in the first season so it's just it's all slightly left of center of where it should be um or where we're used to seeing it um but this is what happens when you change animation studios and you also have a lot more like a lot less time. Um, so going back to both of these, it was it was okay. Like I mean, I remember really thinking that this looks better than I was expecting it to look, which is good. But it also like again, there's a steady decline um, uh, for the rest of the season until Mirror takes over. 
Um, and then narratively, there's also just that weirdness of, like Allison said, of doing a second pilot. Um, because that's kind of what it, that's kind of what this whole thing is, really. Um, because, again, there was never supposed to be a second season. And so a lot of stuff gets reintroduced. Um, and it just kind of feels like both a not continuation, but also continuation of the show that existed prior to like episodes seven through seven, like episodes like eight through 12 or whatever of season one, as opposed to immediately kind of picking up where book one ends last year. Um, so that just ends up with those things of core treating every problem like a nail, like she's the hammer, everything else is the nail. And it just, it doesn't feel great um, narratively to watch the character regress in a way after in universe she's had a year of growth except she hasn't she feels exactly sort of the same as she did when we met her originally at the start of book one uh, not the little Cora with her little child paunch but teenage Cora. so yeah it was just disappointing to your point Noel I, I think that Part of what's so frustrating about about where we find Cora in this premiere is that, like you said, and as I said, it's as though she just regressed to day one, only without any of the apparent insecurities that made that yes. interesting in the first place. Like, she's not... You would think that given her very specific insecurities about her connection to the spirit world, that the place that these episodes would go would be a little more troubling for her. Um, but it doesn't, but her connection to uh, what's uncle's name? Unalak. Man, these folks really love a fractious um, brother relationship, don't they? Yes, they do. You'd think that it would be a little bit more complicated and messy and that it would come out of a place of need rather than petulance. But honestly, it just feels petulant. It just feels like she... The way they're writing Cora, she just doesn't like being told what to do or told she needs to work harder. And while that in itself is not uninteresting and is not um, something that's completely unfamiliar for this character, all of the stuff in between, I think, um, I think is missing. All of the whys are missing. Yeah. And I think a part of that is almost symptomatic of the fact of how quickly they had to remedy the issue of her not having the rest of the, her bending abilities at the end of book one of like, there wasn't that I worked to get these back or anything, or I worked to master airbending. It's all my bending was taken away, but I had airbending all of a sudden. And then I got all my bending back. Um, and so like, it's a, it's a weird situation in which she feel, I feel like the show wants us to feel as if, She's mastered all four elements at this point to a degree that she's considered mastered. Um, she's passed those exams from like the White Lotus. Um, but the spiritual element's still there and she just decides to treat it as something to break, th- like physically break through as opposed to something outside of her comfort zone, like you were saying, Allison. So it's very weird for the show to have her be more powerful, but without the sense that she's learned lessons from that power and how all of that gets interplayed. Um, So it's just, it's, it's weird, but also like, 
she just I think she just goes back to feeling really cocky again um, because she's mastered she's got airbending down when she couldn't get it because um, like she's got those air scooters down pat she but she's also using the avatar state to cheat which is the other thing that I think is supposed we're supposed to kind of take away from this is like I like that she's so kind of loose with the avatar state when Aang was actively like I don't want to do this but it just it just speaks to the kind of the way in which this character is purposefully messy, but then also is written in a messy way, which is two very different things. Um, and the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to Kate is that I think also a fair bit of this is the fact that the creators of the show, um, Konetsko and DiMartino, stepped away from the writing responsibilities this season um, and handed it off to two other folks for basically the entire run of season two, they like did the stories for books for episodes one and two. And then they didn't write anything because they needed to focus on making sure that the animation was done and in t- on time and looked up the snuff basically. So they stepped back from writing responsibilities to focus on the animation. Um, and I think that is also kind of a larger problem when the two of them wrote everything in season one. And now we have two different writers. Marcus says, I think Aang became wary of, of it, of the Avatar state and um, and this you know, connection to the spiritual world when he realized the risk of it. And I don't think Korra has had that moment yet, which I think is a good point. Um, but also, it's just, it's just such a missed opportunity um, that we don't have Korra. Like, there's no sense from what we see here as to, like, she had this massive thing happen where she lost all her bending, and then she got it back through her connection to Aang. Has she been able to contact Aang since then, in the the course of this year? Did she, like, is there frustration? Because she figured after that she'd be able to, and then she hasn't been able to again? Or, like, there's so much more that's just, it's just right there. It's low-hanging fruit that they could have, gone to to set up you know such a focus on this the spirit world for the season and the connection to the spirits and everything um that they just don't and it's very very strange because instead they go for like you guys are saying this petulant rebellious um just for the sake of it kind of thing they also seem to have forgotten that we did not get to meet her parents beyond the opening scene in season one so you've got to establish a relationship with her dad for us to understand why she's chafing in her relationship with her dad. And like they like try to justify it with that kind of quick aside about wait, I thought that the white Lotus and Aang wanted me under protection. It was just you the whole time, which doesn't really track or really make any sense no. at all. No. Um, and it's just, it doesn't work. Um, though I will say that I think, um, I do think that James Remar does a pretty solid job as Tone Rack. Was anybody um, else just in their van like, you go, go get Jefferson. He'll help out. Yeah, no, I was this entire time. I was just <laughs> like, wait, Jefferson Pierce can help. <laughs> get Anissa. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, They're benders technically. It's like a ki- electricity, right? Like it kind of, it's a thing. It's lightning. Lis- listeners, <laughs> if you don't know what we're ta- talking about, go watch Black Lightning. Um, it's, it's very, very good. good. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, Marcus says that we still don't know her mom, and that's that's very true, and that's disappointing too, because they had two episodes to set this up here. Yeah, and I don't think she like ever really comes to the forefront um, to do a whole lot. 
So don't hold your breath for that because it's so really focused on Tonrak and Unalak in particular. Noel, how was it? Uh, you know, we obviously maybe just Black Lightning stuff, not trying to tease anything for this show, but like James Remar, you don't cast James Remar for him to be shady, right? Like he's right. He's, he's conveying supportive dad stuff this whole time, which is part of why Cora's pushback doesn't quite track. How did you feel about uh, Tamarack and, and uh, Unalak this time through? So I think that having like context also of like what the show is going to do like kind of influences a lot of how I'm treating a lot of this. Um, but so like they the backstory of how Tornarak got banished basically from the Northern water tribe and then had to go live down in the South with the peasants um, is sort of the implication. And the way that this, this, these two episodes in particular and the way that this episode ends, especially um, just kind of made me really interested slash frustrated um, with Unalak as like a character about all this stuff about the South has lost its spiritual way, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just thinking about all of Unalak's rhetoric here. Um, and also this idea that Tonrak gets exiled to the Southern Water Tribe um, to, wait, what exactly was the North doing to help the Southern Water Tribe during the war? And where was support? I understand that you're on the other side of the world and there are Fire Nation blockades and stuff. But it's very much like a, oh, those peasants, we need to set them right. Um, While there's an abdication of responsibility for their their brother tribe, for their uh, sibling tribe. um, That is just really weird to watch play out both on a familial sense with Tonrak kind of being in a, to a certain degree in esteem within the Southern water tribe now, but also Unalak's kind of looking down his nose at everything about the Southern water tribe, even though the Northern water tribe didn't seem to do a goddamn thing to help, help the Southern water tribe during the war um, for reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Allison, how do you feel about it? Um, uh, well, Marcus says, uh, they show they're actually in enemy cards really quickly with Unalak, both by Unalak's choice of words, preachy religious, I've got great plans for you and ominous music cues. And I really agree. Um, I think that this, these two episodes have an unfortunate amount in common with the finale in terms of, uh, skipping all of the like meat to get to, whatever the next thing is like I in addition to not really developing her relationship with her dad and not acknowledging her um prior struggles with the spirit world uh it feels like I I don't have any sense of how Cora feels about Unalak other than like ooh I want to be able to do that and ooh I want to be able to do that seems to be what powers everything else that happens it's a combination of I want that trick and don't tell me what to do and that's just like not a very interesting place to live so when you throw in that neither of those characters is particularly well developed that their relationship with each other seems pretty boilerplate um, and that the places it goes at least in these two episodes are are fairly predictable um it wound up falling really flat for me yeah it's another big missed opportunity where it's like yes they're going very um you know they're pretty straightforward about the 
you know, the ominous music and all that for Unalak. But also there's a giant Everstorm in the at the South Pole that they just that, that nobody in the Southern Water Tribe thinks that they need to deal with. Like, that's a pretty big like, hey, guys, maybe we should have fixed this sometime in the last 70 years. Like, there's a point that he, Unalak has has instead of going for something more interesting about like, you know balance which seems like it'll be a theme this season and you know the the different impulses that we're seeing reflected with these brother characters you could just like have you could have a conversation there and, and instead they they don't instead they go ooh, pretty uh southern lights here's my army <laughs> so um do we have any other thoughts about what's happening at the polls and any of this other dynamic because i want to make sure we talk briefly about uh the the you know tenzin and his siblings and also the stuff we get with janora um well one thing i do want to set up for like thinking about unalak as well as the rest of the show going forward um since everyone's already pegged unalak as as like the antagonist for the season and spoiler word he is um one the thing is the thing to think about with Unalak, as well as the next two sort of big bads, um, is they are extremes. They are extremists in each of their ways, following the tradition of Amon. And what the show does, I think that's really interesting and varying degrees of successful, is how we have a series of extremists work against someone who in and of herself is extreme, but not an extremist. Um, and how all of that gets folded into how Cora perceives herself. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind as we watch this. Um, and how that gets kind of baked in with Unalak's arc, for want of a better thing here, and how it fits into what Cora's arc is. Um, because that, for me, has always been the show's generally sort of strongest thing is that the antagonists, because I'm hesitant to call, especially the, the antagonists in books three and four villains, um, but how they fit into a changing world and a changing avatar. Um, it definitely feels like a correction from Ozai as this very stock evil king to more nuanced kind of philosophical driven politically driven antagonist so it's something to kind of keep in your head as you're watching this in particular this season in particular um and then going forward um so i think i ended up really liking how this like kind of works out but i also don't hold me to that because i don't remember (laughs) (laughs) Diego says, I know they're drawn from the same influences, but the whole spirit world thing felt too Miyazaki and Princess Mononoke, not necessarily in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, If you're going to go like for Mononoke, you better nail it because you're not probably going to do it better than Mononoke. So like, no, you're not. Um, You're just not. And now I'm going to like, I'm just going to finish this podcast and go watch it. But those spirits were, were scary. Yeah, they are. They're pretty, they're pretty creepy. Uh, Allison, any final thoughts on on the brothers and the poles and any of that other stuff before we go over to the air nomads? Um, Well, I I would be remiss if I didn't point out uh, two things. One, uh, that Asami is still just getting totally screwed. Um, What an interesting character. Why on earth aren't they doing anything interesting with it? Uh, She gets to hang out with Varric. Why wouldn't you want to hang out with Varric all the time? (laughs) Uh, John Michael Higgins. Just a delight. I will hide behind that rock. Uh, Yeah. Movers! 
That's old. Uh, I did love the 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 moving pictures gag. That was a really nice little um, little nod to cinema history. Um, on the other hand, I feel like somehow it's the in a very in a very Sokka kind of way, although not to nearly the extent of Sokka. Um, Bolin has gone from being the character that I can't wait to get off my screen to a character that makes me sigh in relief every time he turns up um, because it, it, he's he's just very enjoyable to watch. Um I especially liked the reveal of the new fire ferrets <laughs> was a nice moment. Um, the his, cosplayers it, came back. It was <laughs> j- no just good. delightful, um, like really, really fun. Uh, and, and his energy with um, the creepy twins is a delight. <laughs> like I just am very feeling very grateful for Bolin at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and lots of good little Pabu content and also Cora. Stop shushing Naga and listen to her. Listen. Come on. Um, Elsewhere in the episodes, we did have some good Tenzin content. So uh, thoughts on the siblings, Boomy and Kaya. I I just having rewatched a bunch of early elementary um, uh, in the past week. I was just so happy to see Lisa Edelstein on my TV playing a character who isn't secretly a prostitute, which is apparently the only way people could think of to cast her in uh, the 2000s um, and in and, and 2010s, which is very strange. Uh, but anyway, Wait, so was I, she secretly a prostitute in the house too? Did I miss that arc later no, in the season? Okay. No, <laughs> though they did like to play with imagery and have yeah. a house constantly sexualize her as if she was yeah. a sex worker. Um, that was the amount of respect what, she was treated with. What other than the West Wing? What am I not thinking of? Elementary, Elementary and West Wing and then just how she was treated. Uh, that character was treated a lot on, on house. But um, yeah. I mean, yeah. terrible. By great, terrible. I mean terrible. She's a yeah. very good actress. She's a very good actor. Anyway, she deserves so, so much better from the West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed them. And then also we get our, our, our tease of something going on with Janora, which I'm very here for. In this On this podcast, we, we stand at Kieran and Shipka. Uh, Allison, how was the, you know, the sibling dynamic for you? So fun. It's it's great seeing sort of rambunctious energy reflected in the older siblings. That's a really nice thing. Um, it was I was surprisingly no, that's not accurate. I was moved by the journey to the Southern Air Temple. And I was going to say surprisingly moved, but I shouldn't be surprisingly moved. I should have been more moved. Mm. If this was Avatar and they had revisited, I would probably have been weeping and instead it was just moving. So um that I just really loved that visit and all of the scenes that took place there, and obviously everything that's going on with Janora in particular. Uh, but yeah, seeing the that sibling energy reflected in in both sets of three siblings, I thought was really fun. Mm-hmm. Noel, any thoughts? No, it's just it's really delightful. Um, I love Boomy and Kaya, um, and I love Tenzin's just whole deal um, with his siblings around because it's just so good. Um, they're just so, all three of them, very, very different in terms of what they're thinking and how they approach things. But you also see through that, like the sheer amount of like potentially self-inflicted burdens that Tenzin's put on himself as the first new airbender who is now responsible for the next three, potentially four airbenders. 
and just the sheer amount of responsibilities and how seriously he takes that. Plus being the de facto leader of a group of people who have all subscribed to the error nomad lifestyle without being airbenders in and of themselves. Um, so I think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff subtextually in both of these episodes with Tenzin that we don't quite totally fully engage with, uh, which is a shame, but it's still also just really fun to watch him get razzed by literally everyone around him. <laughs> um, so it's really good, but uh, Pema continues to just be the best. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh, huge bouquet of flowers and then her whole, yes, the next generation of airbenders and Milo's like just destroying everything in sight. And it's just like, oh, I love all of this. Look, I caught a lemur. Can I keep it? Oh, it's getting away. Um, just, it's so good. And I very much really like it. And I just really hope that that baby is not an airbender for Pema's sake. Um, the, uh, yeah, no yeah. one should have that level of reverence for Milo. Like, have you have you met Milo? <laughs> have, you, have you met? You, you have. Okay. Because, yeah. like, you're acting like you haven't. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to what's to come and it just getting after a season of um wise teacher it's just fun to get you know mom i don't want to hang out with my siblings um so yeah it's, it's very nice and um, to your your earlier point um Genora, if this episode if these episodes didn't make it clear plays a really pivotal part in this season um which is really great um because again Kieran Shipka's great on this show as she is in general. Like, I don't like Mad Men, but she's really good on Mad Men. Um, but I think that she's really great here and they do a lot of really good stuff with Shinora, I think, going forward in this season in particular. So I'm really excited for everyone to see that. Me yeah. too. That is very exciting. Well, unless anybody has any final thoughts, our episodes for tomorrow are episodes three and four, and it's a two parter Civil Wars. So, what do we think? My prediction is that I'm going to have to wait for season three to get exciting titles. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to guess that that Korra and Captain America have very different opinions on the role that Bender should play in society and that it causes a, a, a great divide amongst Bender's that ultimately um results in some some real chaos mm-hmm. uh and i don't remember what happens at the end of civil war because i didn't care for that movie so um oh, um but they can have a big fight at the future industries yes, airfield totally see. they will 100 yeah. and then um um milo will come out unexpectedly mm-hmm. um in a new super suit and just like wreak havoc um that that's a spider he's spider-man i'm saying milo is spider-man although you could also go with ant-man i'm fine with i i'm fine with either of those um i'd be much better at these jokes if the next episode the next two episodes were called the winter soldier parts one and two so (laughs) um can't wait for some more exciting episode titles that's what i can't wait for i love a good episode title you gotta come on it's a it's an art form yeah this is no audrey pants at work this is you know it's yeah we're we're being suddenly i miss lucifer what is this (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you to Diego and Marcus for hanging out with us today in the chat. Uh, Marcus says this feels like a first season plot, and yes, it does. It's the first season of a new show? Question mark? Justification? More on this this tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But... Oh, and Marcus says also, I would like to add, astronomically speaking, the world doesn't make sense. Yes. Uh, don't overthink it. Uh, and Diego says, gas leak gear. Um, so- I like the gas leak gear. Like, it's good. It's a good, it's a good season. Okay. Well... <laughs> More on this tomorrow when we talk about Civil Wars. Uh, But thank you, Diego and Marcus. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.